I'd like to welcome you to the Renovare podcast. We have something a little different this week. We've been going through the archives and found a wonderful Dallas talk from a Renovare event back in 1999. Enjoy. Now, if you uh, want to, you can turn to Glendian's outline. It has some scripture. I'm sure I can't do justice to it, but um, uh, we will be using some of the thoughts in it. But I want to change the topic a little bit, and the topic that I will choose will include his. Jesus uh, does want to be seen. God does want to be seen. But the topic that I'm going to take is, was Jesus nuts? And I just remind you of the scripture that you heard last evening from the Sermon on the Mount and other things, and we'll look at a story or two here. But uh, you know what Jesus said to us in essence, especially if you come down to the last part of the sixth chapter of Matthew, was that this world is a perfectly safe place for us to be. It's a perfectly safe place for us to be. And that if we will simply place ourselves in his hand, no harm can come to us. Now, harm isn't exactly the same thing as hurt. We're still vulnerable, but no harm can come to us. And if that isn't enough to make you wonder whether or not Jesus was nuts, maybe you haven't been in the real world. (laughs) But uh, that's what he was saying. And he was just saying, look how God has arranged everything. God has arranged a world in which everything is taken care of in its own way. Um, And um, do you not believe that God has made provision for you? That's the invitation of Jesus is for us to see God as perfectly in control of the world and allowing what comes to pass in it to come to pass Because at least in the long run, it is a good thing. And not taken separately. You know, Romans 28, 8.28 does not say that everything is good. It says that all things work together for good. And it doesn't say that for everyone. It says it works together for good for those who love God. And are called into his purposes. Everything works together for good. But you see, the idea is this. Everyone is invited to the party. Everyone can come. Everyone can love God. Everyone can be called according to his purposes. Everyone was made to fit into those purposes. Jesus says in Matthew 25, Come, you blessed blessed of my Father, And receive the kingdom which was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. See, every one of us sitting here today, standing here, was foreseen by God. And when it was time for you to be conceived and born into this world, God in effect said, now it's time for you. It's time for Don or Levon or Bob or Emily or whoever it is. It's It's time for you to come in. He had planned on that. Now is your time. 
And your time here on earth is a time when we're, le- when we're uh, learning to reign with him in our actual lives. And everything that you see in the spiritual light is an opportunity to learn how to do that. How to reign with God in our actual lives. This is training for reigning. That's what your life is all about. It's training for reigning. Training and reigning. People often wonder why there's such a strange arrangement as prayer. Well, that's so that we can learn how to reign with God in our lives, you see. And God has to be cautious with that. He doesn't want to give us what we can't stand. He wants us to grow and to seek and to learn, to come to that place to where it's perfectly safe for him to answer our prayers. Because, you see, his objective for us is that we should become the kind of person that he could empower to do what we want. No, I didn't make a mistake there. You may have been waiting for me to say that we could do what God wants. But I'll say it again. He is developing us to be the kinds of persons that he can empower to do what we want. See, that's much greater to be able to bring a free being, a human being, to the point to where they can be empowered to do what they want. Now, I don't know how many of you would be ready to see the person sitting next to you empowered to do what they want. I don't know how many of us would be happy to see our children empowered to do what they want. And we probably have a feeling that there's a little work required on their wanter as of yet. And frankly, I would have to say that for myself. See, I'm still in the process of growth and development. And that's what God is bringing us to. So while it is true that God desires to be seen, he isn't obvious to this world. He isn't obvious to this world. I'll take you to a story in Mark 4, one of my favorite stories is the story that you find in Mark 4 uh, where the disciples are having trouble with the ocean. That can be a lot of trouble, can't it? Not a trouble. And uh, there's a storm. In verse 35 of Mark 4 and following, Jesus says, let's go to the other side. Often our biggest storms come when we are following the leading of Jesus. You know that? He comes and he finds us in a comfortable position. He says, let's go to the other side. Hmm. Uh, Maybe it's cancer. Maybe we come under attack. Perhaps we have a problem in our family. And he says, let's go to the other side. See, Let's go to the other side. Well, that's a challenge. So they left the multitudes and took him 
took uh, him along with them, just as he was in the boat. And there arose a fierce gale, and the boat was about to sink. It was already filling up. And this Jesus fellow, I guess he was just sitting there sleeping while the waves were rolling over him. If the waves were breaking over the boat and he was in the boat, I guess they were breaking over him and he was sleeping. See, what, what kind of vision is that? And of course, they get concerned. And you see where their heart was because they come to him finally and wake him up and say, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Forget the boat. (laughs) We're perishing. Don't you care? Wake up! Now what's interesting here to me is that he was sleeping, but also that he says to them in verse 40, after he rebukes the waves and the wind. You see, they had faith in Jesus, but they didn't have Jesus' faith. You understand what I'm saying? They had faith in him. They waited for him to do something, then they got a hold of him. said, you do something. You're supposed to fix our circumstance. And he said, why were you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? And in the other passages in Matthew, he uses that favorite word of his, oligopistoi. And oligopistoi, probably the proper English translation of it would be not heads. (laughs) Oligopistoi, little faiths. Little faiths. What what do you suppose they said to one another? I mean, you know, probably that's what they said. You see, Jesus knew that he was in a God-permeated world. And he could sleep in the storm. And he could wake and minister because you see to him the world is open. One of the things you'll notice as you read the Gospels is at Jesus' baptism, the heavens opened. The heavens opened. Now what that means is that what's there all along became manifestly present to him. You see, he knew that God filled the heavens and the earth. There's no place that God is not there. That God fills the heavens and the earth. And he can be perfectly safe. And so he slept. And he says to us, we're perfectly safe. Why do you worry about your life? Why do you worry about food and drink and clothing and so on? He says, God will take care of that. You have much more important things to be concerned about. Why worry about tomorrow? What people are going to do? What's going to happen to me? Am I going to get sick? Am I going to die? All of those things. She says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it because God 
is in control of your life if you have given yourself into his hands. But someone says, that isn't terribly obvious. And that's true, it isn't obvious. And it isn't obvious because God calls us to seek him. Listen to these words. If with all your heart you truly seek me, you will certainly find me. Jeremiah 29, 13. Again, he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews eleven six. And of course, we all know the verse that we've heard last evening. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Those go together. They don't come in separate packages. The kingdom of God and his righteousness come together. And everything else will be added. Now, you know, we, we have to make up our minds about Jesus. We have to decide whether or not he really knows what he's talking about. And that is not something that is easy for most of us because we hear messages coming from all sorts of other quarters. There's not a single field of expertise in our world today that involves a knowledge of God. Now think about it. You don't have to know about God. You don't have to know about the kingdom of God to be a doctor. You don't have to know about that to be a teacher. You don't have to know... If you're being credentialed in any area from plumbing, actually, in some quarters, to preaching, you don't really have to know about God. That's not a requirement. See, that's the way the world comes to us. That's why teaching such as as we always are hearing the discussion about evolution that's why it's really so important it isn't because it's just a biological theory uh, because if that's all it were it would not matter very much Uh, but evolution is presented as a way around God it's presented as a solution to the problem of what this world is all about It's presented as a picture of who you are and who I am. That's why it's so important. Because it pulls the vision of God out of our knowledge and says, you can be as well educated as is possible and not know anything about God. See, now I hope that helps you see, that helps you join the issue. Because that really is the issue, is whether or not we live with the knowledge of God. Romans 1, 19 through 20, because that which is known of God is evident among men, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that men are without excuse. You see, that's the comeback of a theory which says, oh no, everything just popped into existence. Jesus' teaching lies on the side of saying that God 
is the source of everything, that God is truly alive. You know, we like to make a lot about this, this saying, God is dead. You hear it over and over and over. Ian Wilson just recently published a book called God's Funeral. And it reminds you of that report, you know, of Mark Twain, who was reported on being dead and sent back a telegram to America and said, reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. You think about it. Now, if God was, is dead, he must have been alive. But if he was alive, it's very unlikely that he died. The reports are he's not the sort of being that would run out of gas and sort of give up and disappear, you know, right? But it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, God isn't dead. God is alive. Jesus comes with that message, and we have to make up our minds about Jesus. The real challenge is to put Jesus in his rightful place as not only the one who made everything, but the one who understands everything and knows everything, who is in control of everything. He understands things better than anyone else because he made it. He runs it. He's in charge of it. And when Jesus speaks to us about the nature of the world and says, we don't have anything to worry about. When he says, if you put your life in the hands of God, you are perfectly safe. And I'd like to just, I've said that two or three times now, and I want us to just marinate our minds in it a little bit so that each of us will bring that home, that it is perfectly safe for you to be here. It is perfectly safe for you to be who you are, where you are. God, indeed, is taking care of you. And you say, well, but the boat is about to sink. Yes. You see, what Jesus, one of the things that Jesus was uh, reproaching his disciples for was their thought that if their boat sank, it was the end of the world. It wasn't just that they should have had confidence that the boat wouldn't sink. It was, it was okay if the boat sank. You see? And now with that we touch on one of the deepest parts of the human psyche and body. And that is the issue of death. And because we don't hear what Jesus says, and we don't understand that he's really in charge of things, and we don't accept that in the depth of our being, we're constantly worried about death. You see, Jesus comes to us and says, those who trust me and my word will never die. And you have to think about whether or not you really believe that. And I invite you this afternoon to consider it carefully. Are you planning to die? What do you think is going to happen to you? And I want to say to you, on the authority of Jesus, that if you have placed your trust in him, what you think death is going to be will never happen to you. That very person you are that experience you are is going to continue 
right through the time when others who are looking at you from this side will see that your body has stopped functioning and you will continue in that life into the presence of God and you will see the world as you have never seen it before. You will begin to be in a position where, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we shall know as we are known. What he means there is, we shall know then as God knows us now. Now you think about that because you have to understand that Jesus took away the fear of death which always holds human beings in bondage. He abolished it. So now there isn't any place that you, as you trust in him and believe that he is who he was and who he is, there isn't any place that you will be separated from the loving care of God. Do you remember what Paul said about that? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And then he goes through a fantastic list that includes life and death and all of that. So Jesus was not nuts. He knew what he was talking about. And if we had time, we could go further into those matters and talk about all the things that he knew and all of the things that he was in charge of. He was the master of matter. He could speak to the weather and change it. He could suspend gravity. He could transform elements. He could transform lives. He laid down his own life and took it up again. So now that's where we're living, folks, when we come to put our confidence in Jesus Christ and bring him down to the level of our lives as a whole and trust him with everything. And now when we come to that point, then the idea that God wants to be seen becomes very important. God certainly wants to be seen. We see him coming into the garden with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening, walking in the gardens, searching for Adam. God is a God of love, and love wants to be known. It wants to be seen. It wants to be experienced. We know that in human life, from little children all the way up. Love does not want to be hidden. It wants to be known. The tabernacle of the meeting that was devised in the wilderness was a rather tacky little place, if I may say so. And you can read about it in the book of Exodus. But when you come down to Exodus 29, 44, and 46, you see that it was entirely an arrangement that allowed God to have a place where he could meet and abide with the people of Israel. That's God's love. And Paul speaks about how the God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give us the knowledge of God, the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And when Philip in John 14 says, show us the Father, Jesus says, have I been, you, been with you all this time and you haven't recognized me, Philip, you see. God seeks, he wants to be known. He comes to us, he comes to us in our lives. But you know, the thing about God is he's like you and me in this respect also. 
He doesn't want to show up where he's not wanted. Do you like to go places you're not wanted? I don't know of anyone who does. And that's where the seeking comes in. Here's what the seeking part is all about. The seeking part is about wanting God enough to pursue Him long enough for us to change so that when we find Him, we can stand it. Now you may think, well, what's, what's there to standing it? Listen, you know, God is something incredibly great. Incredibly great. The, the teaching of the Bible, no one shall see God and live, is simply because of the greatness of God. The greatness of God is so great that if you were to be able, if you confronted it without the appropriate preparation, it would destroy you. How close could you get to our sun, which is 90 million miles away? Well, look, our sun is just a very tiny part of what God is. I mean, he created that and so much more that your mind can't grasp it. And so God has to prepare us and lead us and send out things that we can hear and receive that will cause us to grow on. The deepest question you see is, what do we really want? Do we really want God? Now, you know, I'm not just talking about a thought or a wish or a good idea. I'm talking, do we thirst for him? I would just ask you today, would you describe your attitude toward God? as one of thirst. Would you describe it as one of hunger? We need to think seriously and carefully about that. Because you see, God wants to be wanted. He's like people or persons in general. And when we want him, he says, we'll find him. If with all our heart we really seek them, then we'll find him. And remember now, the seeking is not wasted time. Because in the process of seeking, we grow to where, when we find him, we will be able to stand it. And that's important because, you see, when you really find God, you are going to be transformed. And there's going to be in you a quality that will be very outstanding and very unusual. I don't know if you've ever thought about that word glory. But the first three letters spell glow. Glow. And there is a radiance. There is a radiance to those who have found God. When Moses came down off of the mountain, they had to put a lampshade over his head so they could talk to him. It's like these lights up here are worse. I mean, imagine talking to a very bright light bulb. That's what Moses was like. 
You know, when Jesus said a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, he was, hid, he was talking about people who have learned to live in the kingdom of God. So much of our talk is without effect because there's no reality in it. And when the reality comes, you often don't have to talk. St. Francis sent his people out two by two. Indeed, they were not an order of preachers and they were not supposed to preach. And you've heard that saying many times, of perhaps of St. Francis, who told them to go out and manifest the love of God to people, and if necessary, use words. But you see, they went out two by two so that they could love and serve one another before the world to testify to the reality of the kingdom of Christ in their hearts. And when that comes, you will have power. Now, I don't know how much power. I don't seek power myself, really. I'm I'm willing to have power if the Lord wants me to do that. I don't seek it. I don't know how much of it I can stand. If you raise someone from the dead at this meeting, word is going to get out. And very likely you will have uh, some television cameras coming to your door. And then you have to decide what you're going to do about your new status. Because it will change your life. Now the question is, can you stand it? Can you stand it? And the next question is, are you prepared to seek the Lord who wants to be visible? In such a way that you can become one who receives that and one through whom he becomes visible. Can you think of yourself in that way now? As one through whom the Lord becomes visible. Because God wants to be visible. And his chosen way to be visible is through people. That's you and that's me. We are the ones through whom Christ chooses to be visible. And when people see Christ in us, they move towards confidence that this is a perfectly safe place for them to be. And we can talk ourselves blue in the face about it. But until we bring the reality of it, until we can manifest the confidence and love and strength that comes from abiding in the kingdom of God, very little of it will move over to others. And frankly, it isn't primarily just to move over to others. It is for us to live in. It is for us to be a part of Christ and to share his life and to have that reality in us no matter what comes and no matter what we see in the visible world, whether it's the storms breaking over our ship, it's our family breaking up, our children failing because we don't run their lives, whether it's disease or madness or whatever it is that comes our way, whether it's just the overwhelming wounds of a past that all human beings in some measure share. No matter what it may be, we will be able, as Moses did, to endure as one who sees 
what is invisible. And you know the great verse in 2 Corinthians 4, from which Renovare takes its name in the Latin version. Paul talks about how the outward man is perishing day by day. But on the other hand, the inner person is being renovaried, renewed. And it goes on to say, while we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. God wants to be seen. And when we seek him out, he becomes, increasingly he becomes present to us with all of the force and vivacity that we have in our awareness of the sense-perceptible world and more so. And we see God in everything because he does want to be visible. I included in the flyleaf of the divine conspiracy these words of C.S. Lewis. And they're the words of Uncle Screwtape, you remember, the senior devil that is advising his... um, his protege in devilment. And uh, he says to his protege Wormwood, you must have often wondered why the enemy, that is God, does not make more use of his power to be sensibly present to human souls in any degree he chooses and at any moment. But you now see that the irresistible and the indisputable are the two weapons which the very nature of his scheme forbids him to use. Why? Because God, who wants to be seen, waits on us to seek him and pursue him and desire him to the point to where he alone is what we desire. And then it is safe for him to fill our lives with his tangible presence. You see, he does not overwhelm. He does not bully. He waits and he calls. And when that time comes, then we see the wonderful vision of a person who is living with God, present, visible, seeable, real, beyond anything in this world. Then the boat can go down. It doesn't matter. Because we know we're safe. A couple of years ago, I was in Kenya briefly speaking to some people from Wycliffe Bible Translators, and there was a couple there who had lost two sons to malaria in one week. Your heart sinks to even think about it, because we all know what that means, of course. But I wish you could have seen them, and you would have seen how God was visible in someone to whom God was visible. This woman told how they got the boys back here to Michigan, to hospitals which had the best possible treatment, but you know how malaria is. Sometimes malaria, there's just nothing you can do about it. And uh, as the husband took one son to another hospital to try some special treatment, this lady was staying in the waiting room as her boy lay near death. And this woman said very simply, she said, I decided that God was good. No matter what happens, I decided 
that God was good. And those boys died. They still have a daughter left. They're remaining faithful in their service. That really isn't it because people can remain faithful in their service and be filled full of loss and bitterness and anger. This man and his wife were beautiful cases of the radiance of Christ in a person who has learned to see that Jesus was not a nut and to know on the basis of their own experience that God is in charge. That nothing lies beyond his care because we live in a world that is permeated by a loving Heavenly Father. Well, there you have it. And that is worth a couple of listens for sure. Have a great week.